Today's episode of The Buffalo Beat is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, they're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find them on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. All right, welcome in, everyone, to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. Thank you for joining us here, however you're doing it, whether it's on the Athletic Podcast Network or one of the many free avenues. Thank you so much for being here with us. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, anything like that, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the uh, to the show. It really helps us. And now we are just a little under two weeks away from the NFL draft. So we went out and we decided to have a guest on the show. And this is a, a different way of looking at draft analysis, more more uh, a little bit statistical than what is usually out there. We spoke with Matt Manicharian of Sports Info Solutions, and he took a film perspective along with an analytical perspective uh, and all the different measures that they have to really review some of these draft prospects. And this is a guy that was a former scout in the NFL, so he really knows what he's talking about. So uh, he joined Matthew and I for uh, for a little over half an hour to discuss a lot of different parts of this draft class coming up. Now, quick note, we had this conversation with Matt shortly before the start of free agency. So uh, we discussed some wide receiver stuff, some uh, some defensive end stuff, and this was certainly before the Bills uh, decided to trade their first-round pick uh, for Stefan Diggs, but uh, a lot of the material in there is still great and uh, a really a different way to look at how to look at some of these draft prospects and what really uh, separates some from the others and maybe some some values that uh, that you didn't think were there but that are from a film and analytical standpoint. So we're going to get straight to that conversation. And uh, here is Matt Manicherian. All right, joining us now here on the Buffalo Beat is former NFL scout and writer of Sports Info Solutions second annual The Football Rookie Handbook, Matt Manicherian, who uh, who is uh, you know nice enough to join us here on the Buffalo Beat. Matt, thanks so much for for taking some time out for us. Thank you for having me. I hope I don't come off as too much of a of a hater of your quarterback. Um, I, I, but I will come with some hot takes if that's what you're looking for. Oh, sure. I mean, we're we're very interested in uh, all things draft because you know it's it's the way Brandon Bean kind of operates. He not really into the whole big swing in free agency. He's not that type of guy. Only when it's absolutely necessary. So the draft is just an uh, an awesome way. So tell first tell us about the NFL draft evaluation guide that you do and uh, and what kind of makes it stand out and everything like that. Yeah. So as you mentioned before, I came up as an NFL scout. I spent four years with the New Orleans Saints, uh, with Mickey Loomis and Ryan Pace, uh, Sean Payton, all those guys. And then I spent a year with the Cleveland Browns. That was the Mike Lombardi era, the very brief Mike Lombardi era. Um, But (laughs) 
after I left the NFL, I actually went back and I started learning about analytics and analytics in other sports. And it ended up connecting me with this company, Sports Info Solutions. And Sports Info Solutions has been in the baseball tracking game since 2002 with names like Bill James and, and people like that involved. But we, they got into football in 2015. And that's uh, around the time that I came on board. And one of the things that, that kind of this collaboration has resulted in is this, this SIS football rookie handbook. And it is a draft guide unlike any other draft guide you've ever seen before because we've got for every player, not just the NFL, the traditional NFL scouting report based on what I learned with the Saints and the Browns, but also a full new age analytical breakdown that takes all of the sort of advanced stats that we're tracking at Sports Info Solutions and gives you kind of a, a nice little snapshot of what the player is right there. So it's the scouting and the analytics combined, which is what we think is the future of the game. How have you seen the, the you know, kind of, you were in scouting, you were, you know, working with teams and, and kind of in the weeds with um, the whole process. How How have you seen analytics kind of, make its way into that world and what you know that word tends to scare some people off right you know it's kind of a a trigger word for some people but how useful is it in the evaluation of prospects as they come into the league man that's a layered question um i think that the first thing you made me think of is when i first started in the league in 2009 there were definitely the cap guys and those guys were kind of the outsiders that, that all the quote-unquote football people w- would get angry at. But, you know, my boss, Mickey Loomis, who was the GM of the entire team down there, he got along with the football guys great, even though, you know, I'll tell you a secret, he's really a cap guy um, is how he got his, his start. So what used to be the cap guy versus football guy, and then everybody sort of started to understand how the salary cap mixed in with it. Now it's the analytics people, the outsiders that, you know, and when, when I was in New Orleans as a young scout, there was very little quote unquote analytics or anything that really resembled it. But at the same time, this is football and we've been doing tendency reports and all that sort of analysis since the beginning of football. So um, in one way, this stuff is very new and very different. But in another way, this is the most basic part of football. And, and, you know, even though it's not something like baseball where you can say, here's the pitcher, here's the batter, we have all these individual events, and it's much more complicated than that, the, the increased complexity doesn't mean that we don't need math, right? Like, it's not like we forget about math when we have to do uh, at, uh, brain surgery or, or astrophysics or something like that. We, need, we rely on math and we do more complicated math. So I think that's kind of where football fits in compared to a sport like, say, baseball, where it is more simple. But then at the other side of the, the way you think about that, kind of the other side of the coin is a lot of the, the meat has already been taken off the bone when it comes to, to baseball analytics. So it's really exciting what we're doing in football now. Matt, I, I'm very curious because having your background being as a former NFL scout and seeing that side of it, you said the, the tendency reports being done since the dawn of football, but I'm interested in knowing how you go about it now with the going through and doing those natural scouting reports that you've you've been trained to do and how your opinion on prospects might change with the use of additional analytics. Like where where does that kind of fall for you? So I think it's always got to be a combination of the scouting and the analytics. But, you know, kind of peeling back the curtain a little bit, a big part of the reason why I wanted to learn about sports analytics was out of a frustration because as a scout, I was an evaluator. I was on the road all the time and feeling like I was getting to know these players well that were in my region, asking all the right questions. Really, you know, that was my full-time job, knowing every player from Virginia to Maine all the way, you know, through Pennsylvania. So I, 
I was very frustrated by having really good evaluators around all these places and not having anybody that knew how to put all of these evaluations together. We have all these great data being gathered by all these scouts, and that's really what you're doing as a scout is gathering data and information on these players. Um, but then when we went to put that all together, it all seemed like it was just whatever the, the person in charge felt like doing at that time or whatever the politics necessitated. And I think that a big part of what made me want to get into this was finding a better process for kind of putting all that information together. How, nobody was asking the question, how do we weigh the medical against the evaluation, against the production? And these are really simple, basic questions that, it, for my money, should be the exact questions that you're asking. Um, but I think people were really going into it blind and saying, okay, we've got the tag on the board that says the guy's 6'3 and 245 and he runs 4'8. Um, and then we got the red sticker for the medical and the blue sticker for the character. Okay, we're learning something about who the player is up, up there. But if I could choose three numbers to tell you, you know, what a player really is, wouldn't it be great to have a number to say how productive he was, how well his size and athleticism translates or is projected to translate and what his sort of injury risk is? Wouldn't I choose those three numbers instead of just the height, weight, speed? It all felt pretty myopic and, and like there's a real opportunity for, to think about this more progressively and therefore win games. So you mentioned that there's a lot of meat still on the bone here in terms of analytics in the NFL, how much of an opportunity is there for teams to still get that that edge, whether it's in, um, you know, looking at college production and how that might translate for a player or even in these combine workouts, um, finding some, you know, certain traits that translate. I, I know a lot of people want to dismiss combine workouts out of hand, but it seems like, uh, you know, the teams that are ahead of the curve a little bit might have an advantage in terms of just increasing their chances of success in the draft through uh, different analytical, you know, data points. Yeah. So it's interesting. There used to be this perception back in the day and, and to an extent it exists today still that analytics means looking at combine numbers and saying we want fast guys. We want guys that, that test out, you know, through the roof. Those are the guys that quote unquote the analytics like. And I think that we've come far enough forward now that it's there's almost like a boomerang effect where it's swung back the other direction. And now there's the analysts that look at the numbers and look at how well college production metrics translate relative to uh, just these athletic indicators that historically were the best things that we had to use to, to try to translate from college to pro. Now we have better college stats. We can learn more about who these guys are really as football players. And so the, it swings back in that direction of the combine metrics being a little bit less important. Now I say all that and I think it's really important to understand that there's a balance here that they're not totally unimportant. I'll be the first person to tell you I sleep through combine drills every year. I, I can't stand watching the combine. I think it's so ridiculous. Uh, put them on the field, please. But I also don't want a corner that runs 4-7. Um, and uh, I don't think it's so hard to understand both of those things and to kind of put them both in. But when we do look at it in terms of the models that we use, it is the college production that seems to be much more indicative of pro success than just the athletic indicators alone. 
uh, as, as we might have recently. But there's, there's a ton of room. There's a ton of meat on the bone. I mean, you just look at how bad teams are at, at trading down and understanding that on average trading down is going to be a better decision for you than trading up. Everybody overestimates the, their ability to draft. They still do it. And you see a, a few teams that kind of just clean up draft picks. The Patriots have been doing it for almost 20 years saying, oh, yeah, we'll take a second round pick next year for a third round pick this year. Why not? And I mean, if you just think about that, you're starting with a better pick every year, starting next year, if you just do that every year. Um, so there's a ton of meat on the bone in terms of people still not behaving rationally. Now, I know uh, you, you talked about some of the uh, the kind of indicator analytics out there for certain positions. I'm curious about wide receiver because that's one of the positions that Bills fans want them to address in the draft. They're probably going to do it. Brandon Bean has yet to invest heavily in a wide receiver since he's taken over as a as a GM in the draft. That is. So I I wonder what uh, what is the biggest uh, indicator uh, statistic that you take away with that position, and which are some of the guys this year that might fall into where maybe they're undervalued or some that might be overvalued because of it. Yeah, it's interesting when you when you phrase it like that because I wouldn't say that there's one statistic that you can just look at and say, okay, this is this is the answer. Uh, yards per route run is is a is a great statistic to kind of understand on a basic level what sort of production a receiver is getting. Um, looking at your your percentage of what you're doing in terms of your team's offense, so um, that's something that would separate somebody like Jerry Judy from a Henry Ruggs because Judy is somebody that that. Uh, had a much higher percentage of his team's office. Now you look at rugs and he's a guy that, that his play speed is just through the roof. We gave him a nine on, on a one through nine scale for play speed this year. That's just something that, that indicates how rare this guy's speed is on the field. I think that his 40 yard dash time in the, in the four, two range doesn't even do him justice. So it, it's, you look at his yards per route run. It's not going to be as good as what Judy is. Um, Judy's just a more productive player in that same offense. Um, but so you have to take all of these things, um, into account along with one another. What is, what is the target share in terms of the percentage of the offense? Um, now in terms of things that I don't think people look at very much that I wish they looked at more, the man in zone stats. I really believe that receivers that can be productive in man is something that translates from one level to another a little bit better than the ability to, to produce versus zone. Sometimes zone production can be more quarterback based, whereas the, um, the man production can be more having to do with what the receiver's doing. So looking at the positive percentage, which for us, uh, taking a step back, expected points added, basically um, how well you did on a play in terms of how many points that play was worth, looking at what percentage of the time you create a positive expected points added against both man and zone, that tends to be an indicator that we're, that we're looking at. How much are you able to look at um, you know, separation guys get, uh, and how much can that be measured i guess what's the danger in um like you said man coverage versus zone not all coverages are created equal so not all separation is created equal how do you kind of sort through that right uh there are a few different ways that we do it and you can look through different things like uh, the distance between the receiver and the defenders at the time of the catch and, and different things like that. And, and when you have coordinate data like is available on the NFL level, you can get really exact about that sort of thing. And then you can choose. So you can say, um, if you're building a model, you can say, if the coverage was either cover two or cover four, we might have this much expectation for separation based on the receiver being lined up 
in the slot and running a dig route, right? We might have an expected amount of separation that an average receiver would have in that situation and then be able to tell you, okay, how well did this player create more or less separation than that? Now, that's still leaving out, you know, I can't tell you exactly whether or not that's because the middle linebacker was fooled by play action and so he was out of position, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But when you aggregate this sort of thing, looking at above or below expectation, as we tend to do, tends to give you a better understanding of what somebody's producing than just looking at uh, the counting statistics alone. It's a little bit like looking at you know yards per target instead of just yards. You can get a little bit more sense of, of what's going on there. Back to the interview in just a minute, but first a message from our sponsors at DoorDash. You've counted on restaurants. Now they are counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you food you're craving right now, right to your door. Ordering is easy. All you have to do is open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. With over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local restaurant, and your food will be left at your door. DoorDash deliveries are now contactless to keep communities we operate in safe. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more and zero delivery fees for their first month when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BUFFALO. That's $5 off your first order and zero delivery fees for a month when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BUFFALO. Don't forget, that's code BUFFALO for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Who are some of the um, the wide receivers that you are that you feel may, might be a bit undervalued in terms of uh, how often they uncover and gain that good separation, uh, that above expected separation uh, against man coverage? Um, that's a really good question. Um, I would start right at the top of the list. I, I don't think anybody's surprised to hear that Jerry Judy's a very good route runner, and he's not in the uh, the undervalued range at all. Um, but when you look at the receiver board this year. Um, we, we grade 37 receivers in this draft as, as number four receivers are better on the NFL level. So we've got guys that are going to play um, and it's deep and it runs really deep. So um, the question of who's undervalued is kind of a little bit in the eye of the beholder um, when it comes to, mm-hmm. to understanding that sort of stuff. The guys that we love at the top are, are your Jerry Judy's and your CD Lambs. Um, a guy who I thought could have been undervalued was KJ Hamler, especially for, for the metrics that you're talking about in terms of the ability to separate against man coverage. Um, he does really well in that regard. Now, he's somebody that I think is going to go higher than, than I would have expected uh, based on his size and some other things about him. Um, so, again, undervalued. I'm not sure that's, that's the, the best uh, word I'd use for him there. Um, but one guy that we do like that I think stands out in terms of being undervalued is Gabriel Davis. We think that he has potential to become a number two starting level wide receiver, and he's a guy not getting the same amount of love as a lot of these guys at the top end of the draft, the Justin Jeffersons, the Henry Ruggs, all that kind of stuff. So um, if I had to choose one guy in terms of an undervalued player that I think maybe we're a little bit higher on than other people, I look at Gabriel Davis out of UCF. Um, he can do a lot of different things in terms of uh, releasing, releasing not just on, on short routes, but on vertical routes. He runs deep 40% of the time. 40% of his routes are deep routes uh, in this past year. So looking at him, the production not outstanding over the course of his time at UCF, 
but I think projecting forward based on the physical tools and like you were mentioning, the ability to separate against man. Um, this is a guy that's had at least a 50% positive play rate against man each of the last three years. What do you make of some of the battles going on, I guess, sometimes between people who are all about looking at the tape versus people who are maybe heavily geared towards statistics? It seems like Henry Ruggs is kind of the the poster child for that this year because if you weigh production heavily, you know, he didn't have a huge chunk of Alabama's receiving production. But like you said, you turn on those games, he is flying around the field. He's clearly got a ton of talent. And when he was thrown at, um, he's doing really well. So what do you make, I guess, of the the struggles that still go on for people to get on the same page and realize that uh, I guess tape and analytics can work together in some ways and it doesn't really have to be one or the other. Man, it's frustrating. I get very frustrated when I turn on the Twitter and I see these sort of ridiculous arguments that are on there. Like like a guy can't be fast, but also could have been a smaller uh, percentage of the production in Alabama's offense. Both those things can be true. Um, and really when you, when you look at Ruggs, it takes me back to New Orleans. When I first came in in 2009, our top four receivers were Marcus Colston, Lance Moore, Robert Meacham, and Devery Henderson. And I remember going to the wide receivers coach, Curtis Johnson, and saying to him, Coach, who's the best route runner of the four? And me being, you know, I had been a, a high school receivers coach and thinking I knew what I was talking about. I thought the easy answer was Lance Moore. He's by far the best route runner out of any of them. And he said to me, it depends what you're looking for. You want somebody that can take the top off the defense? I like Devery. You want somebody that can go up and, and challenge for the deep ball? I like Meacham. You want somebody that can just box out and be able to be isolated on one side of the formation? Give me Colston. You want somebody that can get in and out of, of, of the interior that's, that's lined up in a mismatch situation? Then I want Lance Moore. So tell me the situation, and then I'll tell you who's the best route runner. And I think that that really, really ties into this situation well. We as fans sometimes really get into this production game as if production is the only thing that receivers are doing on the field. The ability to manipulate coverage is somebody like Henry Ruggs, you're going to put him on the field. And even if you don't throw him the ball, the way that he's going to change the way that the defense has to, to do everything. I mean, look at Marquise Brown with, with the Ravens last year. He didn't have to be the most productive player on every single play for him to have an impact on their offense. And for you to have to say, oh, wow, we, we're going to have a really big problem here because they got these three tight ends that we want to pack the box to stop. But this guy's so fast that if we do that, we can't keep a safety over the top on him. That's putting the defense in a bind, and that's what football is all about. So, you know, we can argue all day long. Henry Ruggs is terrible. He has no production. He's great. He runs really fast. At the end of the day, he's going to have a positive impact on your offense based on his ability to take the top off the defense. That's a big part of what you're kind of going to be investing in if you go and, and get him really high. But if you think that he's going to be as productive as Jerry Judy uh, or that you're going to be able to put him in that role and have him be that sort of player – I, I just think there's there's a lack of understanding of what's actually valuable and what actually helps create an offense that can function as a team. Um, and there's no doubt in my mind that Henry Ruggs, he's he's a little bit like Clay Thompson to me. He's the he's the guy that can make just you know the 35 footer. Um, he's not going to be able to take you off the dribble and do all that other kind of stuff. But he's going to extend the defense. You got my attention with the NBA reference. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I'm curious about flipping it over to the other side. Uh, pass rusher is one that teams will always pay a premium for, especially if they're getting speed off the edge. And especially when it comes to a guy like 
AJ Epinesa, who didn't have that combine that uh, that necessarily um, drew rave reviews. Uh, how do you balance what he is and maybe the position as a whole and, and how you scout that in ways that the analytics sets that apart as well? Um, like I said before, I haven't been too locked in on all of the combine numbers, but when it when it comes to AJ Epinesa, he's a guy that's really productive in college, but I think that uh, him not being a, a combine standout is, is not particularly surprising to me. Um, we have him as our fifth-ranked ed ru- edge rusher, according to the Football Rookie Handbook, um, just outside of the range of guys that we think are real impact starters for you. We think he'll be a good player, um, but we think that his value might be better on, on, on downs one and two than it is on, on third down, for example. Um, but you look at him, he's got all the size in the world. He can dominate the tight end. He's going to set the edge as well as anybody and be a really uh, – a a strong player for you. Not a guy that if you're running a 3-4, you're going to want him to be dropping in the flat very much. Much more of a traditional left defensive end that's going to be lining up against that tight end, the closed side of the formation. But the productivity is there. Ten and a half sacks each of the last two years. Uh, he's got at least 40 pressures each of the last two years. He's somebody that's been good, but um, we're probably a little bit lower on him than some of the other people in the draft just based on uh, we think limitations in terms of his explosiveness um, and, and ability to become probably a, a high-end pass rusher. He can be a nice complimentary guy more so than somebody that we think of as a difference maker. You know, sticking with the edge rushers, the you mentioned you didn't pay super, super close attention to the combine numbers, but in your time in the league and as you've gotten uh, transitioned more into the the numbers aspect of things, how have you seen, that's one position where I feel like combine results in terms of three cone um you know some of the explosiveness drills in terms of 10 yard 20 yard splits on the the 40 yard dash can show you something over the course of time did you notice that teams were using that when you were uh in the league or is it something that people are still kind of catching up to i think the thing that has become uh, popularized and now it's in the public sphere a little bit is like spark scores and that sort of thing where people would be creating models based off just the the combine metrics and you see that there is certainly value to some of that stuff the the part that always I was interested in was broad jumps really for any defensive position tend to be much more impactful for uh, their ability to be productive than than I would have ever expected I don't think you know edge rushers are broad jumping on the football field too much as they try to tackle the quarterback but certainly athleticism, I think, is the bottom line of what you're measuring here. And for any position, especially for any defensive position, where no matter what you're doing, you have to be a reactive athlete. That's what defense in football is. We're entering an age where uh, I'll get you at basketball again. We already see positionless basketball, right? We see more and more. You get the small ball rockets. You get uh, teams that are trying to switch everything, um, the way the Bucks play, stuff like that. I think the more you see that stuff, the more you're going to start to see just a premium on athleticism on defense in the NFL and not getting so hung up on this guy's a tweener, uh, this guy best fits in this role, he best fits in that role. The ability to have guys that are interchangeable parts that can really be Swiss Army knives. Um, and I think when you're looking for guys that can do that, looking at their athleticism is a really good place to start. So I think that's a that's a big part of what you're talking about there. And, and certainly, if we could have seen Chase Young work out, I think we would have seen what you see on film, which is this guy's an absolute athletic freak. 
Matt, well, uh, I, I know you brought up that you had a few other names ahead of Epinesa um, at, at Iowa, and I'm just curious as to who you value a bit higher than him because I think the Bills will be right in the realm of potentially drafting a, a pass rusher with their 22nd pick. So who do you have ahead of him besides Chase Young? We all know him. Yep, Chase Young by far and away. He's our top player in the draft unless you want to put one of the two quarterbacks. I, I'd say you know the two quarterbacks and Chase Young, they're in that first tier, and then it all goes from there. Um, but the other guys at the edge position that we think are, are, are starting level players that are difference makers, Terrell Lewis from Alabama, uh, just an explosive, violent player. Again, we talk about athleticism. He's a guy that comes with a ton of athleticism, even though, as we see with, with Alabama, some players sometimes you don't see the um, production as consistently and especially not going back years because this is a guy that missed 2018 um, with a torn ACL. So Terrell Lewis being one of those guys, Yeter Gross Matos from Penn State, another guy I think a little bit more similar to Ipanessa in terms of what he's bringing there, but a little bit more explosive than what Ipanessa brings. Um, he, he gets high in his pad level sometimes and you see some issues, but I like his ability to pass rush and I think he could become a high level player there. So we have him up above there also. And then Kalevon Chason. Uh, I, I believe he had a nice little combine there for him, the LSU defensive end. Tough player, explosive, heavy-handed. Um, the problem with him is we just got to see him do something other than try to attack the edge. He tries to attack the edge. He does a nice job of, of, of kind of bending the edge as a pass rusher, but he's got to develop more of a plan and develop some kind of more repertoire to what he does as a pass rusher. I love him as an outside backer. He probably slots in as a Sam in a 4-3 scheme, uh, more so than, than, than an end player um, like, like an Ipanessa. But um, all these guys, I think uh, uh, those are the top five in terms of edge prospects that we have. What about offensive tackles and how useful do you find some of these numbers? Because I, I like when you're able to quantify, you know, what a guy is what a guy is doing on the offensive line, because that's one position where there's really not general public stats uh, too often. And it can be complicated to assign sacks and pressures and things like that. But it does help paint a better picture of some of these college guys when you're able to have some statistical uh, backing. So, I mean, what do you think of this class and and just uh, measuring that, that position in general? Okay, high level on this class. Last year, we loved a lot of interior guys. This year, there's less depth on that interior. Certainly a couple of centers that we like. Um, when you look at Ruiz and Biadish, but um, really the talent this year, I think, is more at the tackle position. Nobody that I love in terms of I'm taking them in the first tier or even the second tier of players in this year's draft. I want to have my Jerry Judy and my CeeDee Lamb before any of the tackles in this draft, for example. But um, the guys that we have in our, in our kind of top tier, guys that will come in and we think be strong starters, Andrew Thomas from Georgia, top of the list. Jedrick Wills from Alabama, another guy we think will be great. Tristan Wirfs, uh, we saw him work out and run the 4-8, which is just absolutely uh, mind-blowing, really. Um, and then Mekhi Becton, another guy with the workout, up above 350 pounds, running pretty well. Uh, Mekhi Becton out of Louisville. And Prince Tega Winogo, a guy less people are talking about, probably rounds out our top five offensive tackles. I love all those five guys, and I'm even more excited to talk to you about what sort of numbers we have to evaluate these guys. So there's been a lot made in kind of the sports analytics world about pressures and how pressures are actually kind of more a quarterback stat than they are an offensive line stat, which really you know upset a lot of people that preferred to think about things in this way. And, and we find to an extent that that's true. Quarterbacks do have a, a, an ability to impact pressure rate that's more so than any individual offensive lineman could. Um, 
So that is kind of a, a bad stat. That said, what are some better stats that we can find? So the first one we talk about is blown blocks. What's a blown block? Well, that'll result in a pressure on a pass play for sure, but it can also happen on a run play. And a blown block is, is essentially when an offensive lineman is physically beaten by the man in front of him who he's trying to block. So this isn't a missed assignment where we don't know if it was the left tackle or the left guard that, that forgot to block somebody. Um, this isn't something where I block the guy for two seconds and then the quarterback runs outside the pocket and I end up giving up a sack because the quarterback ran into this sack. It's not any of that kind of stuff. This is the guy in front of me physically beat me to, to get – um, on a pass play to the quarterback, on a run play to affect the runner. Now, the runner could still break a tackle in the backfield, but if if he was forced to break that tackle in the backfield, that's on me. That's a blown block. So our video scouts, so what we do at Sports Info Solutions, we have four video scouts watch every single game in the NFL and in all of the FBS of college football, so 130 college football teams. They're watching every single play kind of from overlapping angles, which will include an offensive blown block charter and a defensive blown block charter. So these guys will be marking uh, whether or not they see any blown blocks on these plays. And then after all four of these guys watch the games, we have auditors that go through. Those are our senior scouts. They're going through and deciding essentially who was correct in terms of was this a blown block? Does it meet our criteria? Does it meet our definition of a blown block? So we have a thorough process to get all that stuff done. And what you'll see in the rookie handbook is the blown block percentage. So you can see on a per snap basis, what percentage of the time are you blowing a, uh, are you blowing a block in the pass game? What percentage of the time are you blowing a block in the run game? So just to give you an example from the offensive tackle stats this year, uh, Jones from Houston was actually our leader in terms of pass blown block rate. And Hunt from Louisiana uh, – no, excuse me um, – and in the, uh, yes, Hunt from Louisiana Lafayette was our leader in rush blown block rate. So that's just giving you a little snapshot right there of the sort of leaderboards for blown block rate. We love that stat. We think it's great. The only thing that we do that's even better for that, you know, we track penalties, we track pressures for offensive linemen, all that. The thing that we think is even better is what we call total points. And total points is our entire system where we've built a system for evaluating football players that doesn't look at any sort of grading of the players or anything like that. We're looking at all these events that we track on the plays, like I talked about a minute ago, those four video scouts that are tracking everything from what was the formation, who was the personnel, what was the route concept that was on the play, um, what was the drop type for the quarterback, the blocking scheme, the coverage scheme, any sort of blitzers, all that kind of stuff. Um, we're trying to triangulate all that information, find out what matters, and the total point system is what tells us how much, how productive or not productive any player was at any position. Um, and we have that stat. It exists for, for offensive linemen just as it does for any other position. Um, and you do see when you look at that, a guy like um, Mekhi Becton, a guy like Tristan Worfs, a guy like Andrew Thomas, these are the guys that really stand out in that statistic last year. Um, and for my money, that's, that's the best statistic that exists anywhere to evaluate offensive line performance. Excellent stuff. All right, Matt, well, let us know how – uh, our listeners can find the Football Rookie Handbook. Yeah, the SIS Football Rookie Handbook is available on actasports.com. That's A-C-T-A sports.com. You can get it there. It's also available on amazon.com, and it should be on bookshelves in Barnes & Noble. So you can grab it now. It's a great resource as we kind of head into the draft. And then, uh, you know, as all these rookies start playing in their games throughout the season, I think a lot of people will find you'll be reaching for your rookie handbook um, to go say, oh, hey, I'm not sure who this guy is. Let me take another look. What did, we, what did we say about him in the scouting report? What were his analytics? 
Uh, so it's a great resource. Do you have any parting Josh Allen hot takes to leave us with that you teased us with at the top? <laughs> I think if uh, if the Buffalo Bills are being really, really honest with themselves, and this is a team that was awesome this past year, you look in the rookie handbook, we have a page for every NFL team. We have the, the Bills above average at every position on defense. We have them above average on the offensive line. This is a team that needed to fix their quarterback situation. I really, really believe that the quarterback is the last piece for this team that, that's going to separate them. I don't think it's the top-end receiver. I don't think it's it's the top-end in rusher. I think this is about as tough a team as you'll see out there. Great decision-making front office. We had them ranked fourth out of 32 in terms of uh, their decision-making on fourth down this year. So really moving up in terms of the way they're thinking about things. I think at the end of the day, um, it it it's that position that's going to be the limiting factor. And the sooner that gets addressed, I think the sooner there's, there's uh, some realism about where this team can go. All right. His name is Matt Manicharian, former NFL scout, the lead football analyst for Sports Info Solutions. Be sure to check out the second annual The Football Rookie Handbook. Matt, thanks so much for taking the time out. Thank you for having me. All right. So a lot of good stuff there from him. Our thanks to uh, Matt Manicharian for joining us on this episode of the Buffalo Beat. Only a few more days even before the NFL draft begins. And uh, we will next speak with you next week when uh, when we are within one week of the actual NFL draft, the first round of the draft. We'll go over a little bit of everything for uh, for what the Bills might be looking at, all these different positions. If you have any questions along the way, be sure to uh, use the hashtag TheBuffaloBeat and uh, submit some questions, and we'll even get to some uh, on the next episode. So thank you all for listening to this rendition of The Buffalo Beat, and we will talk to you next week. See you then. <laughs>